Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey there. All right. This was really a fun episode to record here with Anya Jo Elvidge, who's really in my mind, she's like the queen of dioramas. And what is really exciting about this is, number one, head over to GameArtInstitute.com and go to the blog section where you can watch this in the recording because she's actually showing us this um, this diorama animated as she talks and we kind of dive into a little bit of lighting here and there. And uh, the other part that's really fascinating is seeing how she took all of her art experience and actually turned that and made that incredibly useful for the job that she's at today because she's really an amazing painter. So I'm, I'm really excited for you to get in here and for you to meet Anya. Remember, if you want to become an environment artist or a character artist, the place to be is over at Game Art Institute. This isn't some massive two-year program. This isn't college. This is how do you make the biggest difference in your life in the shortest period of time and just hone in on the things that recruiters actually care about. Not all the rest of the crap, just what do they care about? What triggers them to say you're a professional? All right, let's head over to Anya. We're live. So um, thank you, Anya, for being here. So this is the first time we've got to chat. And I remember seeing your work, and I think it was the hand-painted work that just like just blew my my mind. So why don't you just introduce and talk, tell me about um, yourself. What are you doing right now? Work, fun, uh, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm an environment artist at Creative Assembly. So yep. I've been there for just over a year and a few months-ish. Mm -hmm. um, it's my first game industry job. Um, so I started there as a trainee for a year. And mm -hmm. now I uh, am an associate artist there. And uh, yeah, in my spare time, I do a bit of hand painting and a bit of uh, 2D work and a bit of oil painting, whatever takes my fancy, really. Awesome. So um, how, what did you do um, in terms of your schooling? Where did you go to school? How did you educate yourself? Ah, yes. Um, well, here in the UK, um, we do A-levels. Um, so we do GCSEs. Uh, up until you're 16, uh, 16 years old and then from 16 to 18 you do A-levels uh, so you choose uh, a set of subjects that you want to study so I did uh, biology, chemistry, English literature and art um, and studied those for two years and then I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do but I stumbled across a university course uh, for game art design Yeah. so um, I checked that out and seemed pretty cool. I'd never done 3D modeling or anything like that before. Um, but I got an offer there and I haven't really looked back. Uh, and I've been doing game art ever since and I'm 22 now. Awesome. What, what attracted you to game art? Ooh, well. You know, it's I, interesting because obviously... lots of people, they come from all directions, right? Some people are into the sci-fi stuff and yeah. um, some people are into Blizzard and some people are, you know, into VR, but, um, you know, well, could you say what it was that attracted yeah. you? Well, I was never, I never played like Blizzard games or anything like that. So mm -hmm. it's kind of funny how I've gone more like stylized now. I always played uh, Red Dead Redemption and Halo mm -hmm. um, and more realistic games. But the, the main thing that I think really attracted me to games at first was the, the sky boxes I really liked skies and games and I thought they were really pretty okay um so I don't know I guess I, w I always wondered how that was done um and once I realized that you could study making art for games as an actual subject yeah um, I was just like oh my goodness this is amazing um because I, I wanted to do art I knew but um I didn't know that there were like jobs out there beyond just sort of fine art and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just liked 
I liked realistic games because that's what I played. But once I got to university and realized sort of what directions you can go in, I just always found myself going towards like more stylized, colorful stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was quite organic, like the way I just sort of moved in that direction. There was never really any confusion for me about like what kind of style I should go for or anything like that. Nice. You just kind of started doing stuff and then seeing where it went. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about um, this piece that's uh, that's in front of us. So you said you do a lot of hand painting, right? Yes. Partially because I find it easier and I like avoiding the hassle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think many of us would agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I like to avoid a bit of hassle, but um, my more recent project that I'm working on is actually sculpting. So I'll do a bit of everything, but um, this piece is just hand painted, nice and simple, um, using 3D coat and Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like hand painting in 3D coats. Um, but yeah, I just I like doing stuff in Unreal Engine because uh, I like how flexible it can be. You can sort of cheat a little bit with lighting and things like that. Um, I've I've got a lot of lights and things in here which you couldn't really get away with in um, things like Marmoset Viewer. Mm-hmm. You can't sort of add like a million lights wherever you want. Um, so I like to, yeah, and things like putting a tree in there to cast shadows and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, just like nice, simple, hand painted, fun. <laughs> hmm. All right, and there's just a little bit of a lag, just so you know. So if there's a lot of rotation, it takes a second for it to kind of update. No problem. I'll uh, put it there. I'll leave it there. Okay, cool. All right. Um, how much can you tell us about your job? And uh, so I say that you know because everybody's got different levels. So just let me know if we're overreaching here. But if if you could describe a little bit about what you do, like what a day looks like for you, um, that'd be sure. great. You know, is it uh, is it production right away? Meetings. Um, you know, what does it look like for an associate environment artist? Yeah, sure. Um, well, for me, because. Um, I am sort of a junior uh, artist. Um, a lot of the, the day is just uh, production stuff for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually get put into a project after it's already started, like um, a few months after it's already started. Um, and I will um, just be creating assets. And um, because what I work on is um, Total War game campaign maps. So I don't know if anyone has played a Total War game. Um, but there are battles which are realistic and the campaign maps which are stylized uh, and they're kind of more um, like a stylized top-down view of a world so you can cover a broader picture with uh, less art I guess mm-hmm. um, so I'm, I'm making sort of big chunky cities um, and mountains and we're trying to sort of cover uh, an entire geographical location or country um, so rivers, cities, uh, trees, terrain textures. So I just do a bit of everything in that sense. Um, I'm not sort of particularly specialist in anything, mm-hmm. um, which is really nice for me. I enjoy just being able to do a little bit of everything. And because it's top down and you view it from quite far away, um, you don't have to make it super detailed, which is something um, I don't particularly enjoy. Um, so I do enjoy sort of covering a broader picture, uh, color palettes, and just making nice overall compositions. Got it. And what do you think makes you really um, successful at your job? Like, what is the one thing that helps you get your job done? And what I'm really looking mm-hmm. for is, uh, and you can, you may be able to remember, like uh, two years ago before you got the job, you know, it's hard to have a sense of what you're supposed to be doing, and um, so what is it that really uh, helps you achieve in your job today? Uh, I'd say that I am quite good at sort of covering a broad spectrum of um, like a place, as in um, I like to create overall compositions and color palettes mm-hmm. uh, and I don't tend to get bogged down in the nitty gritty of things. So when you're trying to create art for a huge area you can't just create like one camera angle and focus on that you have to there's a huge space that you're having to cover so trying to create like cool little compositions and things like that and I can do that quite quickly um, and just make stuff look good 
on the bigger picture. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say, really. <laughs> I'm not very good at saying what I'm good at. I know. Um, I know that was going to be. I knew that was going to be a hard, hard one <laughs> for us artists, especially. <laughs> but what I got yeah. out of that was um, that you're flexible, and yeah, you know, I you're comfortable shifting focus a lot. Because I imagine, as an associate yeah. artist, one of the things that they're asking you to do is number one, the stuff that they don't want to do, right? Um, <laughs> number two, the stuff that um, you know, might just need to be, need to happen right now. Like there's probably a little bit of uh, busy work, but you know, uh, you've got, you know, amazing skills here. So I'm, I'm sure you have your niche, but is there some element of busy work that's involved in that? Uh, when you say busy work, you mean just getting stuff done? Yeah. You know, just getting stuff done, uh, you know, in some cases be baking, you know, it'd be, um, you know, fixing meshes or anything of that nature. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of that stuff. Um, like sometimes um, the the team that I work in is really quite small. There's only mm. like um, at any time maybe four of us maximum working on these campaign maps. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes there'll be days or weeks where everyone's away, and so it's me that's left to sort of keep everything together on mm. the campaign map art side of things. So mm -hmm. I'll end up um, I'll be the one sort of liaising with other people around the studio and trying to get broad uh, strokes done on the campaign and there are just days where it's uh, just head down um, making trees or head down making buildings um, and there is yeah there is busy work in that sense um, mm. there's days where you don't get anything done <laughs> and that's okay too um, but mostly it is actually like sort of a big list of tasks that I've, I've got for myself from either things things that I think I need to do or things that other people have told me to do. And yeah. I will, will just burn through that list of stuff. That's great. Was there a time when you just were, you just didn't think that this was going to work, that you just weren't going to be able to get that job? Uh, to get the job at Creative Assembly? In any job. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's always that uh, worry and negativity in the back of your mind, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. I've always sort of tried to trust in the fact that things will just work out um, mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. I was quite lucky in that at university, we've ended up with a lot of contacts um, coming out of university because a lot of the students that graduate ahead of you and go on to studios themselves and you have them as contacts. So um, that definitely helped me. Um, but yeah, I was absolutely prepared after university to go and move back home um, and just focus on my portfolio until eventually I'd pick up some job, any job. <laughs> um, fortunately, that didn't happen, but that's fine too. Like for me to move home and um, or just, you know, pick up some job and just grind away a portfolio, I was absolutely ready to do that too. That's great. Yes. I think many of us could understand that. Um, so uh, talk to me about these dioramas um, and, that you created because level 80 was um, was kind of the thing. And I know this is a long time ago um, in our <laughs> industry. Anyways, I think it's what, uh, two years ago, three years ago, uh, two years ago. Yeah, I see it right here. Um, so uh, how did that happen uh, that you ended up making an article for Level 80? And, and I'm asking because one of the things that I advise um, everybody to do is do articles, do write, do tutorials, do videos, do gum roads, yeah. you know, do all of that stuff. Because my entire career comes from one article I wrote, that Ofer. Who, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. He develops uh, PixLogic, Ofer, developed ZBrush. He, saw, he read the one article. That was it. And, um, you know, it took a little while, but they hired me and it was entirely on that one article. That's so talk great. to me. <laughs> tell me about it. Um, and, uh, so tell me about the experience of, of writing this, like how'd this come about that you were doing something at level 80? Uh, yeah, well, um, I've had a few things on there now. And the first thing that ever happened with, uh, the, uh, level 80 thing was um, I kept a blog when I was at university uh, every week I would update this blog with what I've been doing on my university projects mm. um, and I was always very regimented in doing that um, and at the end of a project I made uh, I think one big blog post talking about my work um, uh, just a little three-week project I'd done for university and then that got put on uh, 80 level um, 
And I was like, oh, cool, that's a surprise. Like, I didn't expect anything that I've done to sort of end up on there. And that was in the early days of um, 80 level. Yeah. I don't think anyone really had heard of it. Um, and then it must have been like a year later when I'd done uh, another project. Uh, the, the guy that runs it, I can't remember his name, um, but he emailed me uh, and just asked for me to to do a uh, sort of a breakdown for him but that mm -hmm. that all came off of the back of firstly posting on my blog on a weekly basis and sharing that mm. and also cross posting that on um various facebook groups posting it on my personal facebook page um i don't know where else i would have posted it polycount i think polycount definitely helped but uh, obviously he's, he picked it up somewhere uh, and that came off of the back of that and since then i've done another one for him uh, and again, I, I expect that probably came from posting on Polycount, uh, I think it was, or maybe uh, the Level Up Facebook page. But yeah, it all came from sort of self-marketing uh, online. Awesome. That makes sense. So um, he knew that you could handle uh, posting and you could handle writing because you had actually been doing that. That's not something yeah. that, you know, they were they were at all in doubt of your capacity to do. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could still bring myself to keep up a blog because I think it really did sort of give me, uh, whether it was a small audience or not, there were people that were like genuinely interested in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And no matter how small that audience that you have is, something will always come out of that, like the 80 level thing, um, or just people that keep up with you for, for like I think I had that blog for three years and there were people on there that were keeping up with me for the whole three years I was posting on there uh, and even if I came back like a year later to post something they would comment on it um, so it definitely helps you sort of be found on there uh, in the big pond that is the internet <laughs> mm -hmm. that's great okay good and uh, and did that affect your uh, career your job at creative assembly or your your um, career potential uh i'd say it did yeah because uh posting on my blog um was picked up by uh not only tutors at the uni who could see that i was reliable with uh, writing a blog every week mm. but also um past students who had gone on to to work um so i ended up getting my job at creative assembly through a, re a referral from a previous student at my university yeah. who then worked at creative assembly and uh he'd seen my blog um and i'd also been asking him for critique um but the blog was definitely something that people would come to me and say oh i've seen your blog um so it's definitely something if you have the time to do it uh, writing a blog gets you out there a bit, but also it sort of helps you solidify things in your mind when you put sort of pen to paper and write down your thoughts on something. Got it's it. really important to do, I think. Yeah, that sounds great. And um, Kamal uh, is asking, is does your um, does the blog still exist? Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, I haven't updated it for a while. <laughs> I can find the link. It's on WordPress. The Attempted Game Art of Anya the Artist. Yes, that's it. There oh, you, you found it before me. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple of pages up here. If you guys want to... I was just... trying to find a link. Yeah, feel free to share that because yeah. I couldn't find it myself. <laughs> just Google uh, Attempted Game Art of Anya the Artist, A-N-Y-A, -A, and, uh, and it'll come right up. Or you just Google her name and you'll, you'll be able to find it real quick and I'll... Uh, I'll post it over here in chat. Um, yeah, go for it. I always feel like I should keep up, keep updating it. And I, you can see I occasionally go back and try and revive it, but I just never, ever manage to keep up posting every week or even every month on there at the moment. Yeah. Well, you, you, you know, it served its purpose and you're doing what you, um, what you wanted to do, which is your job. So yeah, that's great. So um, is it a long day, a short day? Is it, uh, you know, do you have energy to do your own work when you come home? Uh, on and off, definitely. Um, so I've been trying to do YouTube videos yeah. uh, recently, and uh, it's definitely difficult. Um, but I sort of have periods where I'm very happy to come home from work and like get my head down. And yep. 
sometimes I'll do digital painting because it's like nice and different from doing 3D all day. Or right. sometimes I'll feel really passionate about a 3D project that I've got on the go. Um, other days, like the, the last few weeks, for instance, I've just not wanted anything to do with 3D. Um, and I'll just sort of come home and curl up on the sofa. Um, I've been a bit burned out, I think. But mm. um, I've sort of learned to just accept that recently. Um, but I, I really enjoy work. And I still, yeah, I do have the energy to come home. There's something about um, I've got like a 25 minute drive home after work and mm -hmm. being able to sit in silence as I drive and just sort of contemplate my day or even just not think <laughs> it's mm. quite nice before I can sort of come back and do a bit more work or painting or whatever I feel like doing. Mm. That makes sense. All right. Um, okay. So let me see if you guys got any questions. Uh, Sari, you have seen that and um, Kamal has got this. All right. Gather up some questions for me guys. Uh, and then does anybody want to get some eyes on their work? If so, we can um, see if we can get Anya to look at a couple of pieces and uh, just make sure you provide a direct link to the arts, uh, Artist Awake. Um, or what might be wise is to get me an art station, but you may not have your art station because if it's Artist Awake, I have to, um, I have to show it. Um, all right, so Isaac is asking about hand-painted texturing. So what would be... Um, Awesome. I don't, I don't know if you were prepared to show anything or not, but um, what can you share with us about your process for, for creating these dioramas and hand painting these textures? Okay. Um, well, a lot of it, I guess, is just sort of practice. Mm -hmm. um, if I take this piece on my screen as an example, I guess is my sort of latest hand painted thing. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is just trial and error I find um, the main things that I have found are um, avoid very dark colors um, if you go towards black it can get a bit noisy like this this tower here started off with very dark lines between the bricks mm -hmm. um, and it's just it didn't really work very well um, I think I'm trying to think like sort of resources that I looked at for when I was trying to practice hand painting but I tend to, I'm really bad at looking at resources. Um, <laughs> the main things that I found was um, if I light something from from above and then sort of bake out a really quick AO map, literally like no painting on it or anything, mm -hmm. um, no sculpt, just bake a really quick rubbish AO map in 3ds Max. I can use that as a base um, just to get some like shadowing and stuff in. Um, and also gradients. Um, so I can get the texture for the tower here and show what I mean. So if that's loaded, um, yeah. this is the texture for the tower. It looks really complicated, um, but this is painted in 3D coat. So it's very nice for working without seams. Um, and I definitely recommend 3D coat for avoiding seams. Um, but what I did was I, after I'd done some quite quick monochrome painting, mm -hmm. I baked out a map um, that was black and white. I might have it. I'll see if I can find it. Okay. Um, but it, it's something that you can just overlay really quickly over a piece because a tower, if I uh, a tower like this, is quite complicated to try and paint a gradient onto. When it's unwrapped, it just gets quite fiddly. So I took a black to white gradient and put it onto my low poly and just flattened the UVs from the front. Uh, so it just had a gradient going up it and you can bake that into a map, which I'm going to find. I'm determined now. <laughs> um, I'll just look really quickly in here. Yeah. If I can't find it in a sec, I'll just give up. Yeah, no, don't worry. But yeah, mainly I avoid black and try and keep everything as saturated as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've got my uh, texture here. So this is what I got out of 3ds Max when I baked a gradient okay. onto it. So that just saves me the effort of having to paint a full gradient down the tower myself. Mm -hmm. um, so I can just, I put it as an overlay 
and I sort of changed the colors of it a little bit and saturated it. But you can see immediately that is adding a gradient. You can particularly see it at the top right. Yeah. It darkens the bottom of the tower and lightens the top of it. And so you get very nice natural gradients. It's super subtle when you look at it in Unreal Engine. Mm -hmm. But without gradients, things just become sort of visual noise. Um, you've, I mean, anyone listening to this who's interested in hand painting has probably heard always use gradients. <laughs> it's a, a big thing. Um, uh, and also keeping the levels of detail consistent, I found is a really important one as well. Um, you don't want to sort of make some grass that's really detailed and then make a building next to it that has like absolutely no detail because once you view them up close next to each other, there's just no comparison. It becomes like very ugly and, and that can create noise, which you, you don't want in something hand painted. Um, I tend to avoid any kind of noisiness or uh, texture, sort of like grittiness mm -hmm. and just keep everything nice and smooth. Uh, Kamal is asking, do you use any normal maps to support your lighting and geometry or do you just use the, um, the albedo slash color? Uh, I haven't used any normal maps for this. Um, oh. Sometimes what I will do is um, for things like foliage, yeah. uh, I will just bake out a really simple mesh um, that's literally just sort of a curved front for the grass. Um, it's kind of hard to explain without sort of, I can get up Photoshop and explain it. Let me grab my pen. Is there any, um, do you have 3D coat on there? Cause it might be really nice to, um, showcase people this, uh, this process. 3D coat's one of the things I don't, um. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can show 3D coat. What I mean about the grass is like, if you're doing a blade of grass, yeah. I will create, um, a high poly mesh that is just curved like this. Yes. And that will just mean that you can get light catching it. Ah. As it comes and you get that side darker. But in terms of like normal maps, I will just keep them as like simple as possible if I do. Um, again, I just avoid any noise because I used to sort of add uh, all sorts of grittiness to my textures, but that will just completely overwhelm any hand painting you want to do. Mm. So generally, no, I don't use normal maps unless they're very simple. Got it. All right. So the biggest issue is not normal maps. It's just making sure that the geometry has some element of curvature and is not flat because that's, you know, big yeah. the death of it, I imagine, because your paintings are so soft. That would be an instant hard line. Yeah, I mean, you can see on this piece, even in uh, Unreal Engine, if mm -hmm. I get up close, you can see the hard edges of my mesh. Yeah. Um, and in hindsight, that would perhaps be somewhere that I would use a normal map to soften this edge. Right. Um, even if it is just like a super simple normal map um, with just like some chamfering in the uh, high poly, yep. like at, at the absolute most basic level. That makes sense. All right, so we're gonna get some 3D coat. Yes, Great. let's find a mesh. I tell you, I was going to actually do a class with, on 3D coat. I had a guy who, um, a friend of mine, who's just an amazing, amazing artist. But then right at the time I was gonna <laughs> launch the class, Pixelogic contacted me to beta test this new Sculptress Pro thing. And it was like, shoot. Oh no. Can't do it, because it'd be competition to them and they get they get pissy about stuff like that, so. Right, yeah. So good, I'm uh, glad we get to see this. It's something I haven't given you guys, uh, the the crew, so it's good to get this on the outside. I'm trying to pick a mesh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, I know what I'm doing, hang on, let me. So I go file and I will, can I open a mesh? Oh, here we go. Right, so I've got one that I've already started. I'll open my building. Okay. So what I'll do is if I want to um, paint something and just give that a minute to load, yeah. here we go. Are you um, opening or importing when you do this? So with, in this case, I'm just opening because I'm opening a previous file. Yes, got it. But um, I would go file uh, and import and then model for per pixel painting. Got it. Uh, and so if you bring in a model that is already unwrapped, you can see that on the right hand side that the unwrap is showing. Um, and it's tiling it 
but uh, that's because I've done it as a um, it's a one by two okay. unwrap, so it's yeah. uh, just a bit of a funny shape. Um, so it'll bring it in, and it will just be grey, no texture on it. But you can import a texture. If you go textures and import, you can import a diffuse map. Say you've already made a block out or something, mm -hmm. just like a quick scribble. Um, so the main things that I tend to do in here is use the, um, there's a really cool mode for Photoshop projection. Um, so this is my favorite thing ever about it. Um, so if I, I can color pick using V and then if I want to say paint this area, which I've just scribbled out, I can put control alt P and what that does is opens Photoshop for you with a view of that model. Uh, and then you can turn off the light map layer that it gives you. Hmm. And then you can literally just paint in here so I can do whatever I want and just save that. And when I reopen in here, it loads the texture up again huh. and it's that's, on the model. Let's just like use the Z app link in ZBrush. Oh, sense. is that like Gozi, which I have on, Something. I have that 3ds Max. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, this is good. And so what's the advantage of um, 3D Coat for you, as opposed to, let's say, Mudbox has some great texturing. Not everybody's a fan of ZBrush's um, poly painting, you know, it doesn't go to the UVs, so that's a big issue. Um, but what's yeah. the advantage in 3D Coat for you? Uh, well, partially, I am very bad at picking up new software. Okay. <laughs> um, so I do use the uh, like uh, ZBrush and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I have used the um, poly painting in there. But for this, um, for more like sort of simple hand painted stuff, I just find this software is quite nice to use. Um, just you get a simple round brush. Um, you just hit a quick shortcut to go between Photoshop and 3D coat. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just for me, like a nice sort of convenient, simple software to work with. Uh, I use it for retopping as well. Um, and the voxel sculpting is nice again for people that don't really want to delve into the depths of ZBrush. If you're just feeling a bit lazy or you want to do something <laughs> just like sort of, I find that with ZBrush, I can lose my creativity a little bit mm. because I, I do get a bit sort of lost in the, uh, sort of UI and uh, the terms that are used mm -hmm. um, and I at the heart of it I'm not a very technical person I'm an artistic person and I'm really bad at the technical side of things and I just want to make nice textures sometimes and not have to open ZBrush and confuse myself <laughs> yeah now uh, Sari was asking earlier about your color palette and so this might be a really good moment for us to talk about it. like this is a fairly uniform um, color uh, but how do you go about uh, working on color and establishing, you know, these harmonies? Mm -hmm. um, well, the reason that the tower is quite uniform, there's like not much going on in terms of color, mm -hmm. is because once I've got it in this scene in Unreal Engine, it is in the middle of an extremely colorful, quite overwhelming scene. Um, so I wanted it to be sort of a focal point but I also wanted it to be kind of a place of rest in this in the middle of this quite busy scene um, so the color is quite neutral um, I've got a gradient going up it from sort of a pinky color to a more purpley color mm -hmm. um, but I wanted the overall scene to have a gradient in terms of like color palette going up it so uh, the water at the bottom is blue and the uh, algae and plants are sort of green blue and it goes through to green and yellow green, uh, orange and up to sort of a red and pink. Um, and once I factored the building into that, the building I think did just need to be a bit more neutral. Um, so I, I kind of like working through, uh, through the color wheel a little bit. It mm -hmm. sort of gives a nice sense of harmony. Even the um, the falling petals that you can see, I've set the particles up to turn more, um, they turn red as, you, as they fall, just like sort of moves through a gradient. They sort of go like an orangey red color. Mm. Um, so for me, 
I think you can kind of work with any color palette that you want if you work through a sort of harmonious kind of color wheel kind of yeah. thing. I love that um, idea, working through the color palette. Yeah, just I've I've found that like pretty much any colors do work in that way mm -hmm. um, because you can you can just make the colors riff off each other through mm -hmm. like as they move through the color wheel, um, and by nature they will look quite harmonious. Um, you can always sort of throw in a color that contrasts with it, um, like standard color theory stuff. Um, but yeah, I never sort of had anyone when I was at university say to me like work through the color wheel so much. It was always like um, tertiary color palettes and there were always like these rules. And I, I just was just like, I wanna work through the color wheel. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know, just, I always tend to oversaturate colors. And because I do that, you also wanna kind of uh, riff off of that with some desaturated colors. Yeah. So I will add in some like, uh, for instance, on the boat, the area of pretty much plain white, uh, the tree trunk is a very desaturated color uh, and the stairs are quite desaturated. Uh, that's um, great. I'm glad you were talking about that because that's one of the issues we're confronting right now is what's the difference between hue, saturation, value and how you make yeah. the most of it. Yeah, it's quite, uh, quite a tough one <laughs> um, for me definitely saturation is really important yeah um i i love creating a really saturated environment and then adding in like white white rocks um and areas of black and white so i always like adding in like checkered floors or something like that because when you look at the bright colors next to the stark black and white there's just something about it that's really it's very hard for me to sort of express it, but there is just something really nice about black and white and then a nice bright color palette next to it. Yeah, that's great. Okay, and then if I'm correct, the uh, shadows, you've definitely colored shadows. Like it looks like those are almost blue. Uh, yes, I can get the lights in here. Yeah, good, because Kamal was just asking about your, your typical light setup. And that's a lot right. of light. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot of lights. Um, so I tend to get quite carried away with point lights. Um, if I turn all of these off, you can kind of see the subtle difference that they make. Ah, they okay. take away the the shadows are quite sort of gray looking without the point lights in them. Mm -hmm. um, for a diorama, this works. Of course, for an actual real time piece of art, this amount of point lights is never feasible. Right. <laughs> um, but for, for being creative, it is fun to play about with point lights mm -hmm. um, and use them to illuminate shadows with color. Um, if I turn off these point lights and go to my light sources, so by default, you'll have one light source in Unreal Engine. And I just use a second light source pointing in the opposite direction to kind of, it's very subtle, but it just kind of brightens up the shadows a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the light colors are, I think this is pretty much pure white. Yeah, pure white for the, the main uh, light. And then a more yellowy color for the one pointing in the opposite direction. And then the blue color is coming from my skylight, which I can't turn on or off, but that's, putting light back into the shadows. You don't, for some reason, have a skylight by default in Unreal Engine, which is really annoying, but you can just drop a skylight in there. Um, and I always tend to turn my lights up quite bright. Um, I'm not sure what the standard values are anymore, but my lights are just um, quite bright and I will avoid creating really dark shadows you can see that overall in terms of like contrast between my areas of shadow and my areas of light, mm. it's not super contrasty. Um, I didn't want to sort of overwhelm the eye with so much going on in terms of uh, like plant life uh, and sort of stuff in the water. I didn't want to have really dark shadows as well to confuse the eye. Yeah. Can you show me the, like where the point lights are positioned? So I, I get the, the main lights and I get the, the um, skylight, but like, where are you positioning these point lights? Sure. Um, so they're, I, they're I in areas. Yeah. 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 You can see them floating around here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I will use like, for instance, in here, I've got these guys that are just illuminating the, 
uh, on the side of the archway. Uh -huh. uh, and I've got another one in here also illuminating the inside of the archway. I wanted this one here. Excuse me. <clears throat> this one to sort of uh, look like water was reflecting light up into the uh, the underside yeah. of this building. Um, but also I wanted to sort of create like edge lights um, coming from behind the diorama. Are they pretty much they, all in one, like one plane? It looked like they were all in a circle around one basic plane. Uh, yeah, they are sort of in, they are in a circle around the diorama. Um, mm -hmm. I have one sort of up inside trees and stuff as well. So you can make the most of the subsurface scattering from the mm -hmm. trees. Um, but yeah, I just want them sort of in areas, in areas where there's a quite a dark shadow and I just want to put some color back into that shadow. Um, it gives it a more kind of mystical kind of feel um, than if there, there wasn't any light in these shadows. It just gives it a more like more of a glow. Um, so I've just put them pretty much anywhere that I feel they need to be. Uh, anywhere that sort of looks a little bit boring and I feel could use more color. That's the main reason I use them is to just inject color back into the scene. Mm, I love that. That's great. Okay. And it adds that magical element. You're right. Because otherwise it's just, you know, shadow. And then, oh, yeah. there's this uh, illumination over here. I yeah, you can really sort of play about with the lights. Yeah. Uh, it's really fun in Unreal Engine. That's the main reason I use it. All right. And uh, ah, Kamal's giving you a thanks. Um, Joseph is asking, is this based on an initial sketch or 2D concept art? Uh, yes, it is. I can show you that. Yeah. Um, I always like to do sort of my own little concepts for, for work that I do. Yeah. Um, so I have all of the concepts I did here. Um, so this, it came from just a doodle, really. Um, if I want to create some 3d art i will usually just like doodle stuff until something really feels right um and usually that comes about from um, messing about on pinterest and trying to find inspiration um so i found like this building here that i really liked which is based on a bridge um and i was experimenting with um trying to have like the entire bridge in a diorama but i knew that would be too big and it would be like too much work to take on so then I experimented with sort of breaking pieces off the bridge. And then um, I was thinking like, oh, what if someone lived in there and how would they get up there and they'd have stairs. Um, so all, throughout all of this, I was going between looking at images online, uh, doodling in Photoshop um, and creating 3D blockouts that I would just throw into Unreal Engine and light and then overpaint. Um, so this was like the final thing that came of that. Um, so you're saying you're hello. Pinterest coming up with ideas and then? Uh, yeah, so I've grabbed my Pinterest board that I uh, created. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just stuff that I liked, really. Um, I don't think I was going in any particular direction at the time. I knew that I wanted to create a scene with water and that I wanted it to have lots of plants in it. Yeah. Uh, I think this was the initial image that I was looking at. It's quite small. But, um, and then... It just went from there and I found this bridge that I really liked. Um, and yeah, I just experimented with 3D blockouts. So I made uh, this 3D blockout in Unreal Engine mm -hmm. um, and sort of ended up cutting pieces away. So you can see the way up into the diorama at the time was a ladder. Yeah. But that compositionally didn't work very well because I wanted something that kind of flowed up into the diorama. Yeah. Um, so this is just like a super messy, uh, sketch that I did with like photos that I took of a tree that I found that I really liked. Mm. Um, and I just sort of started painting over bits and cutting bits away, um, trying to make the scene as compact and quick to work on as possible. Cause I wanted this to be a quick project. It wasn't in the end at all, but <laughs> <laughs> it never is. Yes. <laughs> um, Yes. So and yeah, like adding gradients onto stuff as well. So you can sort of see here, I was like adding gradients into things, which mm -hmm. is quite important. Yeah, actually, um, that's a big trick for Dylan Cole. Like you know, that's how he. It's one of the keys to his design is gradients, right. gradients, gradients. Yeah, gradients are super important. Yep. Um. 
so if I get this out of the way and yeah this is what I ended up doing in the end um and I just had fun painting it and then decided in the end that I, I did want to work on this um so then the next thing I do is make a list of all the props in the scene um oh. just so I can sort of make a it's like a management thing cool. I like making lists and managing stuff so um for this I was like we're gonna have a tree we're gonna have yellow flowers and then I'd research what yellow flowers there are um mm -hmm. uh sort of potential fauna I could add in and animate things like that um and then I thought about it like in terms of let me get this one in terms of things that how they'd look closer up um and also did some experiments for like the texture style I'd want to go for um so I had fun with thinking about the colours of the flowers um, and how they would uh, sort of look when they were sat together in a scene. Um, and sort of just, yeah, prepared to start making the actual 3D scene. Uh, so from that, I started making the final uh, 3D piece using my concepts to refer to. That's great. And this was actually a bit of a surprise to me to see. Uh, what are the X marks for? Those are the ones you decided not to do? That was me uh, ticking things off as I made them. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, I'm super organized. <laughs> I tried to be anyway. Uh, that was great, though. I mean, I actually didn't anticipate you going into that much depth, and that's um, probably something that makes your life easier in the long run. Yeah, definitely. I do like sort of um, definitely creating the lists. It just it gives me a way of just planning what I'm going to do. Like, is this project going to take months or weeks? Mm -hmm. um, and I can then immediately see when I'm starting to get a little bit carried away and be like, OK, calm down now. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're not going to have all of these flowers or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so uh, this piece in the end took like eight, eight months to finish. Um, there you go. That was the question. So Yes, it was a bit longer than I had anticipated it being, um, but between sort of doing other things and getting a bit burned out and then recovering from a burnout, um, it just it's just how it goes um, after work and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about burnout, you know, because this is something that we have to, um, you know, we have to deal with because let's say in before like the film and game industry, artists would make their living teaching, right? I teach but i teach for you know it's like a passion of mine um and yeah. there, there was burnout you know from teaching and that was one of the things i would say you know don't teach because you'll you'll lose all your passion for what you do because you know you're oh, doing okay. it all the time right so you know how does how that burnout um affect you and what are some of the ways that you keep yourself motivated because and this is the linchpin to this question um environment involves so many small pieces at the end of the day yeah so, you know, what are the ways that um, that you kind of keep yourself on point or if you get off track and you, you do get burnout, get yourself back? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I guess I think this is the big thing for artists is like trying to figure out like how to deal with burnout. Um, mm. I, I am in the middle of it, like a sort of burnout patch at the moment. I yeah. thought I'd come out of it, but then it sort of hit me again. And I was like, ah, um, so for me i've kind of learned that if i'm burnt out i just need to embrace the burnout and it means that i've done too much taken too much on mm. um and so if you can afford to not do the things that have caused the burnout so for me it was um trying to make youtube videos and try and make a 3d project and i was starting to get a little bit sort of feeling under pressure not because anyone had made me feel under pressure except yeah. for myself yeah. Uh, very self-inflicted um, and so for this particular bout of burnout that I'm going through I have decided that I'm going to binge watch Walking Dead and I'm going to play <laughs> Animal Crossing <laughs> um, so I've like totally regressed um, but obviously this can't go on forever um, but my plan is um, this is my grand plan is to uh, go visit my mum uh, this coming weekend uh, take four days off and then come back and I expect I will be ready to go by then because uh, I'll have had you know basically like two or three weeks off by that point that's um, uh, that's genius we're going to actually pull that quote out um, binge watch until you're actually burn out of binge watching yeah. 
which yeah, can, yeah, exactly. which can happen. I mean, I have, you know, that's embrace the burnout and, you know, go burn out on something else. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that is just sort of the thing that at least for now I'm learning is to embrace the burnout. And I know it can be hard, like if you're in education or you're trying to, you know, you've got deadlines to meet, it's just yeah. the worst. Um, and sometimes like a lot of people say like push through the burnout and sometimes you have to uh, but I think if you sometimes if you push through the burnout you can just make it worse or it'll come back and hit you twice as hard a few weeks later yeah. um, so I think you you just kind of have to let yourself go away from it for a bit um, until you begin to crave it again um, whether that's like doing a different form of art like for me I really enjoy uh, oil painting um, or just sort of doing 2D doodles, like in photo bashes in my spare time. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's kind of hard when you have a deadline and you need to like force yourself to get back into it. But it's such, burnout is such a massive struggle for everyone. And I think you do just eventually begin to accept it. <laughs> it's just like a thing that happens. Yeah, I love that. And burning out to walk in dead, I, that might be... There's got to be a neurosis that at the other side of that. Cause, um, yeah, you just you come out of it and it's just like, yes, I hate Walking Dead now. And now I love art again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How many people do you have to watch die? <laughs> and yeah. and yeah, especially main characters die. Like they kill them off yeah. regularly. You just watch the writing get slowly worse and worse. And you're yeah. just like, wow, I'm literally watching the writers burn out right now. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm sure that's that, that's part of it. <laughs> How long have they Poor been guys. going on that? They've been going for a long time. Too long, too long. <laughs> think, oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds like a great place for us to put a cap in this. Um, let me ask everybody who's here. Anybody have any questions that they've got that um, we haven't answered? The goal for me today was to introduce you guys to Anya and introduce you to um, her work and, and into this field. Uh, we did take a, a brief look at um, 3D coat. We looked at the diorama, um, but I think Sari hit it on the, or Courtney hit it on the head, which is that, uh, you know, today one of the things that really struck me was just the planning and the layout and and then just creating a scene like this, just how to how to get about and think about it, you know, and yeah, keep in mind, this is eight months of work, you know, not full time, but, you know, eight months of work. So yeah, these things take time, and you just have to let it happen. Like, there's no point in trying to rush stuff like this, because you'll start to hate it. Yeah. Anya, do you want to put up your um, art station? Uh, yes. And then course. that way they know where to find you. I sure can. In case you ever do any gum roads on uh, on hand painted texturing. Yeah, I like the whole. I've been looking at the uh, ArtStation Pro stuff, so I think I might move to ArtStation Pro and do some blogging on there. Maybe it might be quite good fun to do stuff on there. Cool. And uh, is these your uh, your oil paint in the top right, uh, left? Yes. Yes. Uh, some recent things I did. I, I like to do uh, still lifes. That's great. Do you work um, a la prima or layers? Uh, yeah, a la prima. I'm way too impatient to take the time layering <laughs> stuff. I have to do it in one sitting or it'll never get done. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yep. Uh, and Sari's got one question. Uh, wait, Edison. Um, uh, Edison, I think you had a question, but I'm not quite... I only see the last part of it. Oh, yeah. Um, do you assemble your models in Unreal Engine or Maya or Max? Oh, okay. Um, what I tend to do is, for the sake of simplicity, with something that's really um, like unique, like a diorama, there's oh. not much repetition of uh, objects. Right. I will set everything up in um, in 3ds Max and set everything to the same pivot, um, so I can export each thing separately, like the ground and a tree or whatever. Um, but they all have the same pivot, and I can just set everything to the exact same pivot. Um, like space in Unreal Engine and it all just all snaps together exactly how I wanted it to. Um, and I can sort of model stuff around each other. So everything kind of blends together nicely rather than slapping everything together haphazardly once it's in Unreal Engine. Got it. All right. And then uh, Sari's asking, what brought, what, uh, why dioramas? I'll just ask it straight. Why do dioramas is what she asks. <sighs> well, 
Uh, I guess it's kind of like the same reason that I like to work a la prima. Um, it's I'm quite an impatient person mm -hmm. and I don't really want to spend forever working on big scenes. Mm -hmm. um, dioramas are a really nice way of getting something done relatively quick, uh, making it unique, making it stand out. Um, you can really control exactly how you want everything to look, like color palettes and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're working in a big scene, you sort of have to take loads of different camera angles for screenshots. You have to make it work from every single direction um, or fail at that and have only like one little bit look good. Um, and then there's no point in making a massive scene because you might only take like two screenshots of one bit. So mm -hmm. um, it's just something that's really nice, quick to do. Um, and they definitely catch people's eyes. Uh, like I had the art director at work come up to me the other day and say that I've started a diorama trend apparently. <laughs> um, so people yes. are definitely picking up that dioramas are like, they're, they're really good, like quick, nice little things to do. And, and they do look cool in a portfolio like mm. next to each other as well. So yeah. I, yeah, they're just nice and quick and cool looking, I think. That's great. Edison, I think you're on to a diorama with yours, right? I think, we, I think that's where you're going with it. Dioramas uh, are the best. <laughs> <laughs> Sarita, does that answer your question? All right, guys, that's gonna um, that's going to cap it. I got one one question on you: the um, painting bottom uh, second row, all the way to the left, the tree. Uh, this one. Yeah. So, are you outdoors doing this work? You paint from photography. Uh, so this particular one was a just a photo study. Yep. Um, I was messing about with. Um, uh, huge jitter on brushes um it sort of gives a nice like fake volume to uh, the huge shape of the branches oh, yeah okay huge huge is really great to play with i, I definitely recommend it because it gives you some really weird color stuff that yeah. you wouldn't expect um and different uh like layer modes as well are just mm -hmm. like overlaying like exclusion layers and um, light and layers and stuff it's really fun to play with um but I do do a little bit of painting outdoors when the weather's better. I'm hoping to go out and do some plain air and stuff. Um, Good. But yeah, yeah I this wish is... I could do more of that. Like, I wish I could just take Photoshop outside with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this is so beautiful. I love the blue going in the back and um, and is definitely, I, you can see that this is probably where you're getting your, your color range. Like you're able to work through the color palette, but you know, you have a sense of how something moves in the distance. Yeah, I got a lot of the, the colors from this sort of come quite almost accidentally with um, layer modes and stuff. So mm -hmm. uh, even when doing uh, hand painted textures, I will sometimes just like scribble with uh, like a huge etter brush, yep. get loads of mental colors and overlay them with various layer modes in Photoshop. And I can be like, oh, that's a cool color. That color works and like sort of throw like weird bits of color in like the yeah. purple just underneath the branch here. Um, colors that obviously don't exist there, but they just kind of work. Mm -hmm. we, we can, we call that clever monkey style here. <laughs> I can roll with that. I like yeah. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Throw it on the wall. And if it sticks, it's art. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Anya. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, oh, wait, we got welcome. one more question and they just took a second oh, to, yeah. um, type it and uh, it says waiting for names. So I'm not sure who's asking this, but I'll ask it. It says, do you have any advice for those learning hand painted stylized texturing, like good techniques or practices for learning how to paint different types of materials? Any thoughts, anything that just, you know, a couple of sentences might help direct somebody. Uh, yeah. Um, for the most part, I guess it would be keep the, it sounds obvious, but keep the style consistent. Um, something I see a lot in like beginner work is they'll paint some wood, like a wood texture with really detailed grain in it. And then they'll paint a rock next to it. That's just like flat color and they just look wrong next to each other. So you want to, the main thing, I guess I would say is consistency, consistency in everything, consistency in color palette, consistency in level of detail, consistency in tile, um, like, like texturing, um, like noise. Uh, just keep everything as consistent as possible. Um, yeah, there's no like hard, fast rules as far as I'm concerned. You you do just kind of find your style, um, but you've got to sort of learn to keep it consistent and avoid making stuff too noisy and overwhelming. 
Cool. I guess. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys, for joining me. And uh, you know where to find Anya on ArtStation. Make sure you head over there, follow. I think there's follow or like or um, head over there and send her some love. And uh, Anya, again, thanks so much. That's okay. Thank you very much for having me. It's been really fun. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. All right. <laughs> See you guys. See Anya. Thanks so much, Ryan. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com. To learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.